Hallelujah. This is Back Chat for March 17th, Friday. Welcome to St. Patrick's Day Show and happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you Back Chatters. I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Janice Wong. On today's Back Chat, the curious incident of the dogs in the park. Two dogs recently died from suspected poisoning after a visit to a park in Tai Tok Toy. Two years ago, several dogs were also poisoned at the Cyberport Waterfront Park in Park Fulan, bringing back painful memories of Hong Kong's most notorious serial dog killers on Bowen Road. After 9.45, we speak to the Travel Industry Council about the latest moves to revive the tourism industry. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat, uh, backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Uh, to get into this serious subject today, uh, we're going to welcome uh, Dr. Fiona Woodhouse, SPCA Deputy Director in Welfare Services. Good morning, Dr. Woodhouse. Morning. Morning. Good morning. We've also got uh, on the line Amanda Whitford, who's the Associate Professor, Faculty of Law, Hong Kong University. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. And also uh, dialing in is Mia Fong, the founder of Gamma.hkg. Good morning, Mia. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Mia, I'm, I'm thinking people probably know what the Faculty of Law is and the SPCA, but they might not be familiar with Gamma.HKG. I know this incident uh, has a particular significance for you. Why don't you tell us what Gamma HKG is and, and your story? Sure. So, um, as you mentioned, two years ago in Cyberport, there were about nine dogs that died uh, from eating pretty much poisonous spam. And my dog, Gamma, was one of them. And after she died, I was just quite fed up, actually. I mean, this has been going on in Hong Kong since the 90s. It's been well documented in various areas of Hong Kong. And I just thought that really the best way to prevent this from happening so often in the future is to have the community really take care of the areas where their dogs are being walked rather than relying on the police and the SPCA um, and the, frankly, pretty archaic animal welfare laws that exist in Hong Kong. And um, I founded Gamma.HKG as a community group to really encourage people who are dog walkers and dog owners to uh, look out for, uh, you know, poison-laced meats and other materials and remove them just to eliminate the chance of uh, other dogs being poisoned. Mm. Now, uh, you know, in the opening, I made reference to the book, uh, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the, in the Nighttime, because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a literary hook, but also because it's a murder mystery. And I'm wondering, are people treating this like a murder case? Because it strikes me that's what it is. Uh, and I'm wondering if, if this is being treated by the government as just, uh, hey, everybody, keep your dog on a leash, or if they are actively seeking to solve the, this, this case. I mean, honestly, when Gamma died, I um, was speaking often to the police inspectors and my district counselor, and I don't, you know, I don't think that they are pushing the side and not trying, but the laws are not protecting um, the animals, and also the resources going towards this are probably pretty thin. Even the SPCA put up, I think, $400,000. Uh, reward and nobody has been able to come forward with any information. I mean, I just think it's not a top priority. Um, I don't know if anyone has an opinion on that. And, and Mia, I'm just a, a bit um, kind of interested in your, your group. Um, you've set it up uh, two years ago. Um, what have you found over this two past two years? I mean, have there been lots of uh, suspicious meat items or, or what, what have you been seeing? Well, 
I guess right now what the group, what I do with the group really is to share information on recent uh, poisonings. Um, and also what I'm also trying to do is to keep track of where these poisonings are happening. My idea was that um, these people probably go to familiar places and often and frequently. Um, so what I'm trying to do is to put a map layer on a, on a Google map called gamma.hkg where I keep track of uh, credible uh, poisoning cases. And so, you know, 10 years down the line, hopefully there's really a, a pattern that emerges and it helps to narrow down um, sort of areas where you should be more careful. Maybe they are able to help to actually find the person who has been doing it. I mean, it cannot just be one person since the 90s. I mean, and it's also been happening all over Hong Kong, so it's probably a lot of copycat cases. So I'm just trying to keep track and um, hope that in the future this information is helpful um, for future dog owners as well. Dr. Wood, <clears throat> Dr. Wood has $400,000 bounty, no respondents. That's not an insignificant amount of money. What, what has been your interaction with the public and the police in particular on this issue? Um, it ranges from time to time, obviously, uh, with Bone Road and, and sort of the area where we've had a historical trend of poisoning. There's been different activities, uh, overt surveillance, discouragement, uh, covert surveillance, um, obviously trying to engage with the, the public. Um, putting lots of posters up, warning people. Um, it is quite amazing sometimes, though, you do see, even though it's known as a poisoning area, and there's lots of signs that people still will walk with their dogs off leash, um, which obviously, you know, puts them more at risk. Um, and there are different areas. So we're not involved in all poisoning cases, um, but the ones that we are aware of, obviously, if it's a, a sort of a series of events, we'll try and do something with the local population, the community. Um, we are seeing a sort of change in trend and I think you've got to be aware that there are probably accidental poisonings where the animals get exposed to something that's being used legitimately. Mm -hmm. um, I say legitimately like a insecticide or a rodenticide and then you've got the malicious poisonings um, that uh, you see where there's actually bait laid and they're actually directly targeting the dogs as well. Right, but what is the um, general situation like? Have you been uh, seeing more dog poisoning cases I mean, in Hong Kong each year? Um, um, there's always some reported. Um, unfortunately, some aren't reported to the police. Um, so we need to confirm if they are bona fide intoxication cases. Um, I always say that a positive finding on a toxicology exam is, is okay. But if you have a negative finding, it may be that you're not looking for the right chemical um, or maybe it's been cleared in time. So um, it's, it, it is difficult. So, But there is a general trend and a lot of people do focus on high profile areas like Bone Road, but we see it all over Hong Kong. Is this a specialist area for the police? Do they have people that like specialize in this and have looked at cases in other countries and, you know, confer with people in other countries about, you know, seriously tracking this down? Or is it kind of like uh, lowest man on the totem pole? You don't look too busy. You can look at this. Um, I, I Again, it's de depending on resources. Um, it is a very difficult crime to investigate because, you know, there's no fingerprints generally. Um, it's a remote crime. You know, maybe the poison's laid 24 hours before the first exposure or maybe even you know, a couple of days, there may be multiple baits laid. Um, and, you know, even when there's CCTV footage, it's difficult to identify somebody who's actually doing something malicious because you can just
just walk along and just drop something mm. um, and it's difficult to pick up so it is very very difficult to actually sort of work out and we did have one situation on bone road where one of our posters was taken down the bait was actually put on top of one of our posters um Jeez. so you know it's difficult it can be happening anywhere they're t they're taunting you this is like serial move you know serial killer movie level oh well, that uh, was behavior. that was quite a while ago i mean wow. i must admit that recently from our information the cases that we're seeing in terms of the poisons identified are more like rodenticides. Yeah. historically it's been more insecticides mm. amanda whitford uh you're on the side of the law what what are the penalties for somebody like this if somebody gets busted walking along carrying some poison meat on a trail uh, can they expect any sort of penalty unfortunately if they're just carrying it then there is no uh, criminal offence occurring. The, at the moment, what you're looking for is an act of cruelty, which means that you have to have the bait laid and the animal eat it before you have uh, an act of cruelty, unless, of course, you can argue that there has been an attempt. Um, but then you would need to have that offender watched so that you would catch, catch them red-handed. I mean, if somebody's walking along with a bag of meat in Hong Kong, it's something you kind of see in Central every day. Uh, is that probable cause where the police could search somebody and take a sample to see if it's poisonous? And then... um, well, I, I, I cannot see that happening. Um, yeah. Interestingly, uh, Dr. Woodhouse and I and others at the SPCA, that so was a Hong Kong U SPCA study, looked at the cases of poisoning over the last decade. And um, one of the recommendations that we have on this issue because it is the most under-prosecuted crime that relates to animal cruelty. It's only 0.03% of police investigations proceed to an actual prosecution. Mm. Uh, we have made a recommendation to the government asking them not only to include a crime in the new uh, cruelty law, which will go through hopefully by the end of the year, that says that administering a poison to an animal is a crime, mm -hmm. but also a crime for carrying uh, poisons in a public place without reasonable excuse. Hmm. I mean, and th those 0.003% was it simply like somebody poisoned their neighbor's dog and so it was quite obvious who had done it? I mean, not kind of... Well, yes, you're looking at either somebody who's been observed or somebody who has admitted it during the police interview. Right. Okay. And uh, so, I mean, it, it seems... I mean, this seems, this seems like a very tough one, but I mean, if somebody was like randomly poisoning people, uh, you know, leave, leaving candies out for kids on playgrounds, um, chances are the police would be on the job pretty quick. Yes, that's, that's true. I mean, I, I, um, I have to disagree with you about the idea that this is, this is murder. As a lawyer, technically, mm. this is not murder. This mm. is animal cruelty. Murder is, uh, is a homicide offense, and it applies uh, rightly or wrongly only to humans. Mm. Uh, this is a cruelty offence. Uh, in the law, is, but, but I mean, Mia, Mia Fong, I know you might, you've, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take issue with that. I see a lot of people, a lot of people now, especially if they don't have children, they refer to their dogs as their children. They call them fur babies. I, I'm reading social media posts and people are like, oh, my baby, my baby, this child came to us. And then I realize, I'm like, wait a second, they're talking about an animal, not a person. It's very confusing. Is, is there a change in mindset? I don't think... You know, we know that ma you know dogs are man's best friend. That's what they they're called affectionately. People obviously really care about their animals very dearly. 
you know, the law says that um, it's not murder. I, I mean, I can sort of agree with that, but it doesn't mean that you care any less about your, your pets. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. I mean, I have made it my life's work to, to improve the legislation for animals in Hong Kong, and I would regard my dogs as part of my family. What I'm saying is technically this is not, as far as the police are concerned, murder. This is animal cruelty. Now, animal cruelty is an extremely serious offence, and we as a community need to uh, punish it appropriately. Mm. Now, um, Professor Whitford, I mean, you, both you and uh, Dr. Woodhouse, you uh, both uh, were talking about how difficult it is to in investigate uh, dog poisoning cases. Um, when we look at uh, the latest uh, case at uh, Tai Kok Choi, a Tai Kok Choi uh, pet-friendly park, um, there are no cameras there. I mean, does that make it even more difficult, I mean, to, to um, investigate these cases? Should there be some focus on um, park designs? Would that help? That would help. Um, but as I said, to my mind, as a criminal lawyer, I believe that the most important thing is that there is the introduction of offence that carrying poisoned meat in a public place is an offence, um, or other poisons in a, um, in a public place is an offence, unless you have a reasonable excuse. And I cannot see how this is not an appropriate uh, amendment for the law. Given that, in Hong Kong, we make it an offence to carry a offensive weapon in a public place. Right. And uh, Professor, Professor um, Whitford, I mean, um, do you have any insight uh, as to why anyone would want to poison dogs? Well, we do. Um, the study that I that I just referenced, which uh, Dr. Woodhouse, the SBCA in Hong Kong, you did um, and published uh, about 12 months ago, looked at not just animal poisoning. It looked at the ways in which animals are treated cruelly in Hong Kong. What are the triggers for people reacting in this way to animals? And um, it is important that people realize that not all people in Hong Kong like animals. And I see on your, um, on your website this morning that there is a statement made, a controversial um, position, but there's a statement made that uh, people may take a view that animals are a nuisance and they may unfortunately um, engage in completely inappropriate revenge. Uh, for what they see as animal nuisance. And people need to be aware that not all of the community are on their side. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they need to pick up the poo when they um, walk their dogs in the street. They need to ensure that where people are afraid of their dogs, their dogs are leashed. Uh, they need to ensure that their dogs are not causing nuisance barking um, in the backyard. Uh, over long periods of time and disturbing others because all of these things unfortunately and entirely inappropriately lead to people committing crimes against animals. Yeah, I, I think you're referring to uh, uh our Facebook page, a uh, comment from uh, Henry, uh, and I'll just, yes, I'll just fill that in. Yes, and so he's, uh, uh, yeah, he's just kind of uh, has a little bit of a chronicle here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to summarize a bit, but he stepped in some poop. He try he first he tries to put his mind into the mind of a serial dog killer, as he puts it. Uh, he talks about stepping in poop and uh, had an occasion where he was bitten and had to go to the hospital to make sure he didn't have rabies. 
Uh, now, the, the rabies thing is hysterical, frankly, because we don't have rabies in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is that people love their dogs, but we need to remember that not everybody loves dogs, mm -hmm. and therefore we need to take care of our dogs by being responsible owners. So I mean, I mean, just yeah. Following on that, he kind of has this this litany of things that that happened to him. And then I'm wondering, um, Fiona Woodhouse. Over the past few years, I mean, with the protests and then COVID, were people under higher stress levels? And so, did we see an, a rise in cases of people kind of losing their proverbial, losing their minds, uh, and thereby, you know, turning to vent their anger or their stress on animals and more cases of animal abuse? Um, I'm not sure, no. I don't, I don't think we see that in the, the data. In fact, we saw uh, sort of more uh, animal adoptions um, and things like that. So we did, couldn't see an increasing trend in, in cruelty cases and prosecutions. It's pretty consistent. But, um, you know, I would say that we do see besides the the sort of the thing about the concern about the nuisance there are have been instances of poisoning where it's actually been pre pre uh, another type of crime so when somebody's about to go in and burgle a house they will go in and throw poison bait to, to uh, kill the dogs that may be guarding the property or uh. in the village so you get targeted poisons like that mm. and the other area that i think we need to look at is educating people who use insecticides and pesticides um, mm. when we have those accidental exposures um, and also look at regulating the insecticides and pesticides so making it more difficult for people to get these products to then use them as baits. Yeah, because I mean this this particular, this case that we've had recently, there were the veterinarians said they were likely poisoned by something called tetramine uh, which apparently is not that easy to get. It is not widely accessible to the public. Is that, is that right? Um, it's a uh, 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 compound I've never come across in Hong Kong. Um, uh, the government chemist does a toxicology for the police and they have a pretty broad panel. Um, they use the same panel for humans as well. Um, but um, a lot of poisons have the same symptoms and to confirm that exposure we would need to wait for the toxicology report and I'm not sure we've actually had that back yet to my knowledge. Okay. I mean, these, some of the reports of the effect on the dogs was pretty, uh, pretty disturbing. All, all poisonings are pretty horrendous when you see them. Um, and again, this one chemical has been used in malicious poisonings in China. It's pretty much black banned on a globe around the globe. But historically, there were, uh, it has been used on uh, mass poisonings for humans as well. Ugh, man. So I mean, if it's if it's widely banned around the globe, is, is that is there a potential that it could make it a little bit easier for the police to? Uh, start to put together a, an illicit trail distribution? Um, I, it might be difficult. I couldn't tell you about that. I mean, historically, we have gone to the uh, retailers of some of the insecticides mm -hmm. um, uh, that are more commonly available, but it's difficult to trace them once they've been given to customers and maybe people have access um, to them. And if that chemical is not available in Hong Kong, I don't know how you would trace it because obviously it would come into the country illegally um, and therefore it would be difficult to trace back to source and to an individual, I think. Is there a black market for these types of things? I have no idea. Hmm. Amanda Whitford? I imagine um, there probably is. Uh, there's a black market for, for, many, um, for many things that are used inappropriately against animals. Uh, but at the same time, um, this comes back to uh, a blanket control on what you should have and why you should have it, which is uh, why the major recommendation in relation to poisoning that, that I've made is it should be an offence to 
be carrying a um, poisoned bait or, a, or an insecticide in a public place without a reasonable excuse. Gotcha. And, and I mean, is this, is this going to lead to more restrictive penalties on dog owners? I mean, I'm, I'm walking down uh, Hornsey Path yesterday and there's kind of a bit of a dog gathering area there and some happy little dogs are roaming around without their leashes and they're very well behaved and some other dogs want to have a go at everybody and they were on the leash with their muzzles on. I mean, owners normally seem to be able to calibrate, uh, but... I mean, it seems like uh, those happy dogs might might be at peril. Are we just going to have to rob them of that happiness and have them on leashes all the time everywhere they go? And that's really not what we want. We would like the whole of Hong Kong to be safe for dogs. Yeah, Mia Fong? Absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, is there is there a fear among dog owners that you're in... Uh, that you're in touch with? Are they, are they debating on this issue? Are they saying, listen, we just, we just have to have our dogs on leashes all the time? Or are they, are they pushing back on that? Well, I, I certainly have recommended that if they are going to areas like Bowen Road, where historically there have been a lot of poisonings, that yes, it's not fun, but dogs should probably wear a cage muzzle because it just keeps them the most safe and they could still walk on Bowen Road or you find a different area to walk. But, you know, as everyone has mentioned, it's important to be respectful of these communal spaces. We're not asking that that dogs can go around and do whatever they want and disturb everybody. But at the same time, we don't want every place to be a dangerous place. We want some safe areas where dogs can go off leash, like dog parks. And, you know, previously there have been cases of dog suspected dog poisoning um, in dog parks as well, and that's just really unfortunate. We're trying to at least, you know, ask for people to also be respectful of our pets. Hmm. Um, and I think you have to remember that these uh, poisons are not just going to affect dogs. They're going to affect wildlife. They're in the same areas, uh, you know, uh, other mammals around. So some of our natural mammals. And also there is a risk to people or kids if you're, you know, potentially putting something down that might be attractive to a, a, a child. I believe in the recent case, there was something, uh, some discussion about chocolate being found. Um, you know, so again, you have to be aware that there are risks to other animals and to humans as well. Have there been cases of uh, wild boar? picking up discarded meat? I mean, they're omnivores. They'll eat anything. Uh, have, they, have they picked up on some of this? And maybe the, the dog poisoners accidentally killed a pig that was later found by the AFCD and toxicology reports suggested that maybe they were poisoned by rogue agents? Um, uh, unfortunately, with the wild animals, they're more likely to wander off into the bush and not be found because they don't have an owner attached to them. But I would suggest that, yes, a lot of uh, wild animals will have been caught up. Um, and have died as a result of this. And we've seen cats um, exposed before. Along Bone Road, we have had one cat. Cats are a little bit more selective than the wild boar and the dogs mm -hmm. in what they eat. Um, but Cat, cats tend to wander off to like die in secrecy, don't they? Um, uh, that kind of behavior? They, don't, they don't go home to die in front of their masters. They kind of like... Um, it, it varies, I think. Um, but sometimes if they're old and they're, and they're sick. And, and again, with these uh, intoxicants, they can be very rapid in their effect as well. Um, but the cat that was um, actually uh, a victim was actually a, a feral, a stray cat, a street cat. So it wasn't, again, it wasn't owned. Gotcha. And, and in the case of the, uh, the Bowen Road, I mean, at that time, there, and Cyberport, I mean, those were not places where pigs were. It's, it's unlikely this was an accidental dog poisoning when maybe they were trying to get the pigs. I don't know about the, uh, the park up in Tai Kok Toy. Uh, what's the situation? Is that, is that strictly like dogs only? There's no chance they were trying to poison something else? 
Um, I think that's more like a, a an urban area, a rest garden, um, you know, small area that they allow the dogs into now with the LCSD's pet-friendly approach. Um, for the Bone Road, again, it's really chicken meat, small amounts of chicken meat with, with uh, the insecticides added in normally. Um, so it seems to be more targeting dogs, and especially as it's on the path itself or just off to the side. So not really in the bushes, particularly for wild boar. Right, so there's absolutely no chance that they were, this is like they were going for dogs. Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay, gotcha. Well, we're going to have to, we, we not have to, we are going to pick up this important topic again uh, after the news. Uh, we're first of all going to say goodbye to Mia Fong, who's the founder of Gamma.HKG, Gamma who could only uh, join us for the first part of the show. And we appreciate having her on and uh, sharing her story with us, but also maybe you can get to her website, which I believe is Gamma.HKG. Yes, Mia? Yes, uh, we are on Facebook and on Instagram. Okay, great. So please do uh, track that down one more time. It's gamma.hkg. Looking at the weather, uh, it's going to be mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches in the morning. But the max temperature is going to be 25 degrees. So leave your winter coat at home and get your umbrella out. Uh, looking ahead, uh, looking at the weather right now at the Hong Kong Observatory, it is 21 degrees Celsius and 87% humidity. This is Andrew Wong wishing everybody a happy St. Patrick's Day with uh, uh, Andrew Work with <laughs> Janice Wong. I don't even know who I am on St. Patrick's Day. This is definitely Back Chat. The fire services department says more than 100 people reported being trapped in lists last night after a power glitch affected parts of Kowloon and the New Territories. CLP Power said its high-voltage system at C1 Sun recorded several voltage dips last night, although the power supply wasn't interrupted. It said some residents may have noticed lights flickering and lifts may also have been affected. A group of 11 U.S. banks say they've come up with a $30 billion rescue package for the embattled First Republic Bank. They include J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup and Morgan Stanley. Reports of the package caused Wall Street to rally and First Republic shares to soar. And there have been scuffles between French police and demonstrators near the National Assembly in Paris after President Macron resorted to using a special constitutional power to push through his divisive pension reform bill without a vote. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's important to use the $2 scheme lawfully. Beneficiaries include Hong Kong residents aged 60 or above and eligible persons with disabilities. Those aged 60 to 64 must use a JOYU card or adult fares will be charged. Using the scheme while ineligible is an offence. Offenders are liable to a maximum penalty of imprisonment upon conviction. Unlawful use of the $2 scheme is an offence. Don't defy the law. I'm Wise Mike, the smoke-free ambassador. I have a vision that one day no one smokes anymore. Gone are the days of people smoking near rubbish bins and pedestrians in the streets exposed to second-hand smoke containing cancer-causing substances. We can make that vision happen. Call 1833183 to quit smoking now. Let's move towards a tobacco-free Hong Kong. And we're back on Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work with Janice Wong, and that was the news with Todd Harding. But uh, we're back talking about uh, dog poisonings in Hong Kong. The uh, killers have struck again. Uh, in the first part of the show, we were joined by Amanda Whitford, Associate Professor, Faculty of Law at HKU, and Dr. Fiona Woodhouse, SPCA Deputy Director in Welfare 
Deputy Director of Welfare Services, who are continuing with us, but we are also welcoming to the show Dr. Angel Almendros, a Clinical Associate Professor at the Department of Veterinary Clinical Sciences, City University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Dr. Almendros. Hi, hello. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, we thought we'd start the second half of the show. We, we did cover off some of the issues uh, related to the poisonings, what kind of poison was being used, but um, uh, we haven't really touched on what, what somebody should do in the moment if they suspect their dog has been, uh, if they suspect their dog has been poisoned. How much, you know, really, how much time do they have and what, what can they do when they're out on the trail and their dog appears to be having an issue? Um, yeah, is it me? Yes, please. Tell, tell us, what, first of all, what to look for and what we should do. Yeah, yeah. so basically it, is, it, is, it depends on what sort of poison is, is being used, right? But some of these poisons are very, very uh, quick to be uh, uh, active. And uh, basically the immediate action to do, I mean, the, the, best, the best way to, to, to go ahead is to prevent this prevention, right? Preventing the animal to ingest in any any, any uh, or scavenging animals by putting muscle um, uh, and, and uh, keeping them in leashes if possible, especially when you suspect that there could be poison in those areas. But once that has happened, or you suspect that that might have happened, uh, it is important, if you are a pet owner, if one is a pet owner, uh, to have basically in a speed dial like uh, your local veterinarian or veterinarian and ask immediately for advice, uh, get a sample if you can get like, um, the product or, or, or the piece of meat that you suspect or there is no or the pellets, you know, like uh, blue, pink, different color pellets that they might be, you know, as cat poison or whatever. And get that with you, jump on a taxi, go to the vet immediately. That would be the best uh, line of action. Or at least call your vet immediately and ask for advice. I mean, if you, um, but if you call your vet immediately, I mean, chances are they're going to be, I mean, vets are pretty busy, aren't they? Aren't they, aren't they already like in with the... In with the patients, yeah, so they, to speak? They are, they are, and that, that's why they are, uh, and quite a few places in Hong Kong, they have uh, uh, emergency services, so, so it's a good, it's a good uh, first step to, to call them and, and to call and tell what happened. And uh, because it's it, it really uh, something that needs to be dealt with like as soon as possible, uh, any poisoning. So as I say, some of the poisons, uh, if we catch them like early on, uh, we try, the first thing that we do is decontaminate, okay? Decontaminate meaning like emptying, a, a, a uh, triggering vomit in the dog, for instance, to, mm -hmm. to get all that poison out before it's, it's absorbed. But as I say, some poisons will will be there in the stomach for a longer time, some of them will be absorbed very quickly, and then there is a lot less we can do. Um, um, but but uh, in order to do that, yeah, we will need to see the dog, right? Right. And of course, there are things that the owner could do, but those things, uh, I, I'd rather have an owner calling, uh, uh, telling me what they think is, is uh, the dog has ingested, or at least describing as much as possible clinical signs, what's going on, uh, and then we can advise upon, rather than telling you a generic uh, uh, you know, advice uh, in terms of make the dog vomit with this or with that. But uh, yeah, that's the most important thing: communication, and then bring the dog as soon as possible. Okay, so number one, because dog that owners, will save dog owners right now should get out their phones and put in the make sure they've got the phone number of their veterinarian in there, especially if they have some kind of a hotline, uh, and they can look into that. Number two, uh, see if they can get a sample of the ingested material, and three, get to the veterinarians as soon as possible. Can own, can pet owners learn how to induce vomiting in their dogs? Is that something I mean, there are there are uh, there are ways, okay, like uh, like homemade 
uh, 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 ways. But again, that would be something a bit dangerous for for me to try and endorse. If I, the thing is that if there is a, if there is for certain a, a poisoning, yes, definitely, of course. Uh, I will I will advise and give advice, specific advice at that moment, at that time, to the owner to do it. I wouldn't want is all the owners in Hong Kong because they don't have a little bit of grass or something else to uh, induce uh, a message of vomiting their dogs and causing uh, suddenly a, a wave of gastroenteritis and and, and and you know putting some irritants in the stomach. So that's why I would rather have a client calling and then we can tell them step by step what to do uh, in that moment. But again, even even if you if the owner cannot get that suspected poison or sample, uh, take photos of it, record what it, what it happened. All these things are important because we can always go send someone or police can go there, look for, for the, the potential bait, find it, and, and, and that will guide us on, on, on treatment. Right. So let's go to um, uh, Dr. Woodhouse. I mean, earlier you talked about uh, how there are uh, different poisons out there uh, that uh, um, maybe there maybe may may um, accidentally um, ex- uh, poison the pet or dogs. Um, how much needs to be ingested for the poison to have any impact on a dog? Usually, Dr. Not, Woodhouse. Not much. Huh? I think our microphone's cut out. I can see her lips moving. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Hi, can you hear him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, the amount varies quite a bit. Um, but obviously it's, you know, in terms of a, a sort of a dog, the, the amounts that are ingested um, for the insecticides are actually quite small. Mm. Um, but again, with the te- teramine or the latest one, it's very, very small amounts can be fatal. Um, but I will say that it is very important to call your vet before you set head off in that direction because some of the vets aren't 24 7 um, and you don't want to drive for 30 minutes to your normal vet to find that they're actually closed for that day or for that period for some reason so it is important to call ahead um, so that you're directed to the right location to get emergency services I mean if you're if you're deep in the if you're deep in the uh, deep in the you know, park somewhere and it takes you 30 minutes to walk out but I mean uh, is 30 minutes enough? I mean, should people be looking for something closer to them? I mean, the SPCA, can they go to you? Um, they can, but again, um, we have limited emergency services at the moment, so you'd have to best to call us to make sure that we actually have somebody. And also, you know, the vet's in the middle of uh, an operation. If you have a one vet that's on, on duty and they can't actually step out of that op, they may say, look, you need to go to one of the 24-hour um, other clinical options as well. Oh. But the other thing that's important is it's very traumatic um, when you you have this experience and sometimes there is a delayed reaction so again you may see that the the signs trembling vomiting diarrhea don't start immediately especially with lower doses or the different types of poisoning mm. so it may be the signs appear one or two hours after you've been out for the hike so you need to bear that in mind mm. and also once you have reached the clinic and the the victim is passed over to the clinical team please 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 call the police in the spca because we have had situations where one dog's been poisoned and then 12 hours later another dog eats another piece of bait so it's important that we know the locations so we can go out and look for other baits um to prevent uh further cases okay so earlier when i was taking dr elemental's advice and i said put the phone number of your veterinary in your phone with they should do more. They should get the phone numbers of a few 24-hour clinics yeah, in their, I, in their phone good, so they know which is closest. It's good to work with your local vet because if they don't provide 24-hour services, they will be working with a partner clinic um, who they refer the cases to out of hours. So you need two numbers normally. Um, 
just right. in case. But I mean, if I live in Hong Kong Island and I'm out visiting friends in Sai Kung and something happens, I, I don't want to come all the way back to Hong Kong Island. That sounds like it would be too long. Yes. Um, and there would be local clinics that you could go to, but uh, probably your friend would know of the local clinic and there are a few in Sai Kung Town. Um, but uh, it may be that your vet could also advise you of the nearest vet to go to because a lot of the vets will know the clinics around. Gotcha. Uh, and, and Amanda Whitford, if people, um, if, if people, either pet owners or Samaritans on the trail try to help out and they, uh, you know, they say, oh, listen, maybe I can help. Uh, I, I know a little bit about dogs. I can help induce vomiting and it doesn't work out. Are people opening themselves to legal liability? Is there, do, do good Samaritan laws exist in Hong Kong and do they apply to people helping animals? No, good Samaritan laws don't exist uh, in that way. So no, people, people that are helping you are um, obviously doing it out of the kindness of their hearts and and that shouldn't be uh, an impediment for them doing so. Shouldn't be, but I mean, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully somebody won't sue them for trying yeah. to help. Yes. But they could. Correct. Yes. If, if, if people can help you, of course. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah. myself constantly um, give advice on on dogs that I'm seeing uh, potentially in danger of heat stroke, um, and. Uh, I'm not a vet, but but I'm an experienced dog owner, and and that this is what this is what good people do. Sure. Right. And, and earlier, Professor Whitford, um, you were talking about how um, the current law is sort of inadequate in protecting. Um, dogs or animals from uh, being poisoned. Um, what about um, the training of officers? I mean, has that improved over the past few years? Um, I think the police definitely do take animal crime much more seriously than they did perhaps 10, 12 years ago when, when the research in Hong Kong started. Um, and there are uh, CID officers that are involved in, in animal crime, so, so people that do have investigative good training. Um, but as I said, what concerns me is that in animal cruelty cases that are uh, investigated by the police and where there is a case found um, to have occurred, only about 50% get prosecuted in the normal uh, animal abuse, animal neglect type cases. But as I said, it's 0.03% of poisoning. That's telling you very, very clearly that the police do not have the tools to deal with this kind of crime. And the reason is that it is too difficult to uh, investigate a crime where you haven't got a witness, where you haven't got um, CCTV footage, where you haven't got some evidence that will trail you back to the person responsible. And that is why it is critical that the government, when it amends the law, introduces the offence of possession of poison in a public place without reasonable excuse. Mm, Dr. Elementos, has the has your has your department within CityU taken a position on the introduction of a law of this nature? I mean, we will certainly be uh, uh, happy for that to happen. Of course, I mean, uh, welfare is, is not not just my department or, or City University, but any veterinarian uh, veterinarian uh, duty uh, duty of care. Welfare is uh, the number one thing that we look at. And of course, this is animal cruelty, and we. Uh, we are all uh, in shock when we hear this news, and, and, and yeah, we want to help the community and help pet owners and help the pets and, uh, for this to stop. I gotcha. And, and your, your school is a fairly new school in Hong Kong, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, we, well, we have uh, the, the, the first cohort of students, the, the 
year six students are going to be graduated very soon, and 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 uh, definitely that is something that we 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 teach them and we emphasize welfare of the animals and and and. Uh, duty of care. Yeah, the reason I ask is because I was going to ask, in, in the training, how, how much focus do you have on animal poisoning and how to how to train for it? Or do you expect that Hong Kong veterinarians in the future will be well trained to deal with these sort of situations uh, when there are emergency situations in the moment? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, in fact, um, one of my uh, courses, of my module, I teach uh, emergency and critical care, and one of the courses, uh, one of the, the lectures is on, on poisoning, it's like toxicology emergencies and we go through a number of uh, different uh, uh, intoxicants or poisonings and how to uh, uh, treat them each of them specifically like uh, uh, either antidotes or decontamination or general treatment so yeah I mean my students uh, year four already know about this Okay, a couple of uh, late hits on our emails and Facebook uh, Facebook pages. Jeffrey says, I know the discussions about poisoning, but is it fair to allow housing estates to apply a no pets policy? Uh, and he thinks that a no pets policy should be outlawed. Thank you for that, Jeffrey. Uh, we'll have a quick one before we wrap up here. Uh, one of our regular contributors, Michael, on the Facebook page says, what's the penalty for poisoning? Uh, what's the interest in making poisoning a violation? Poisoning is definitely a violation, Michael. I think we definitely covered in the first part of the show. Uh, Amanda Whitford, I don't think we specifically said if somebody does get prosecuted for poison, poisoning an animal, what are the penalties? It's the same as for animal cruelty. Uh, it's prosecuted as animal cruelty, so uh, three years is the maximum penalty. But, of course, you're not seeing that kind of penalty being imposed. Okay, so maximum three years. But... Maximum three years. Sorry, that's my dog getting in on the act. I think um, that... Ma- Barking dog is probably exactly the right place to wrap up our discussion today. Let's hope that all our dogs in Hong Kong are kept safe and sound in the future. Uh, I guess vigilance on all our parts and and maybe following some of the things, uh, some of the methodologies we laid out today to protect your dogs could be part of the way going forward. Thank you very much to Amanda Whitford, Associate Professor at the Faculty of Law at HKU, Dr. Fiona Woodhouse, SPCA Deputy Director in Welfare Services, and Dr. Angel Almendros, the Clinical Associate Professor at the Department of Veterinary Clinical Sciences, City University of Hong Kong. This is Backchat. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Happy 95th birthday, RTHK. Thank you so much for 95 years of public broadcasting service. Keep up the amazing work. I'm Jill YC. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. With Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. And I'm Andrew Work here with Janice Wong, and we are back on Backchat, and we are talking about tourism, and specifically, uh, Hong Kong is trying to entice people to come back to the special administrative region. They've got some giveaways that go with that, but there might be some strings attached to some of them. And to find out more about that, we are speaking to Fanny Young, the Executive Director at the Travel Industry Council of Hong Kong. Good morning, Fanny Young. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So um, everybody's heard about this big ticket giveaway, and we've, <laughs> we've definitely talked about it on this show and how they you know, started with uh, giving tickets away in, in, I think it was Singapore was first on the list, and then other parts of Southeast Asia. Um, but it sounds like some of the free tickets now are going to be distributed 
a little differently. They're not going to be given directly to people through a website application and lottery. Can you tell us about this plan that was being outlined yesterday in the news? Sure. Well, actually, uh, it is. Uh, I mean, uh, the the plan that we shared yesterday, it was part of. It is partial of the whole campaign. So, as uh, as as you guys know, the Hong Kong International Airport, this uh, big campaign, uh, it, uh, they have five hundred thousand free tickets for in outbound tickets, and uh, within this uh, five hundred thousand tickets, uh, they allocate uh, fifty thousand, around fifty thousand plus tickets. To Hong Kong travel agents, which to to give them some 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 bullets to attract uh, visitors, uh, both inbound and outbound. So so we are part of the it is only partial of the whole campaign. What we are sharing on on yesterday. Now this seems like a late kind of a last second, or e- even after the campaign has already started to give them all away. Now they've said, ah, oh, maybe some of them will go to travel agencies directly. How did they? Like why? Why didn't this get planned out months well, ago? Well, and how actually, did it just get cooked is, up now? I mean, it is all the way. The uh, I mean, all the while, it is the original plan. So the airline will start with the direct engagement with um, with customers. So they will distribute through their website or their direct channel, which is exactly giving. Well, some of some of them, I I I understand that this is a really free or or lucky draw. Or, or some of them, they have to, uh, they they have to go uh, first come first serve kind kind of, uh, I mean, approach for the airline's direct customer. And then for the, um, I mean, for the Hong Kong agent travel agent part on this fifty thousand plus ticket, basically we we want to have a more multiplied effect, which uh, whenever we, we basically we giving them a quota, a free ticket quota to this travel agent. So on every free ticket quota, they will have to bring and other visitors together. So basically is if they buy one get one and it need to it need to give out um, in a kind of package including the hotels and other tour products so so which may benefit more sectors uh, within the travel industry mm. right so so are all licensed agencies eligible for these tickets uh, yes basically uh, I mean the fundamental requirement is uh, of course you have to, you have to be a licensed agent but uh, as I mentioned over this uh, 50,000 plus tickets. We have inbound ticket. We have outbound ticket. And uh, the inbound ticket is, is around 35,000 plus, which means the departure cities will be from uh, outport, for example, Bangkok, Hong Kong, uh, Bangkok, like that. So um, besides, you need to be a licensed travel agent in Hong Kong. If you want to um, get this uh, free ticket uh, free ticket quota, which is departure city, is from Alport. They also need to. We also need to ensure that this applicant, they have the uh, experience in operating tours from this city to Hong Kong in the past. So, so they have to declare that they have operated uh, kind of tour groups or individual travelers in the past year. Then, um, well. Upon our uh, random chat, we may also ask them to provide some of the documentation proof. So, uh, well, the, the the reason of uh, adding this um, this uh, this eligibility items is it is because um, you you know because we cannot just promote here in Hong Kong and then we can get a visitors coming from Bangkok. So, so they need to have a partners over there at that city, or they have a branch over branch office over there in order to uh, to to get the publicity to to get people into Hong Kong. So uh, so big agencies will will have an advantage over smaller less experienced ones then, right? Yeah, yeah, I should say so because after all we want to um, we want to bring more economy benefits to to Hong Kong. So so that's why we we have to get them to 
to come into Hong Kong, then they need to have some uh, existency in other markets. Hmm. I, I, you know, uh, in my day job, I run a business association, and I have to admit, uh, Fanny, this is pretty smart for you guys. If you see 500,000 tickets be, being given away, you've made a very powerful argument to the government. Uh, you know, somebody flies in, come and stays on their cousin's sofa, flies out again. Uh, you know, it doesn't really help boost the economy. But if you link some of the tickets to buying further tickets and hotels and things like that, it kind of ensures that we have a certain minimum spend uh, from people coming into Hong Kong. Um, but I also imagine that once you, as the body that determines how to allocate the tickets, once you get to determine who gets the tickets, uh, were you presented with a little bit of uh, negotiation among your members about who gets the tickets? Of course, we have to. Uh, we have to. <laughs> a, uh, we have to have a very fair mechanism for the whole whole thing. So first of all, they, uh, we we have some eligibility which we have been talking about, mm -hmm. and then um, because every city. Basically, they have a different number of allocations of uh, of free ticket quota. So, um, what we uh, what our mechanism is that uh, we base on that city to see what is the total number of free ticket quotas is available. Then we also look at the other factor is uh, the number of applicants. As I mentioned, I, I, although there are one thousand six hundred travel agents in Hong Kong, uh, it, it is definitely not possible everyone is going to to apply because maybe they don't have experience in in that particular city. And, and there's so, a lot less than there used to be, right? Because I know a lot of them got hammered and shut and closed down completely during the COVID, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, un until today, we still have a uh, one thousand six hundred something uh, trouble mm. license trouble in, in operation. Mm. So, but anyway, so so we depends on the number of applicants. Basically, we will just evenly distribute the uh, free ticket quota. But we have a we have a uh, we we have a uh, minimum uh, number of tickets that we will need uh, to achieve to give to the successful applicant. That is twenty tickets as a minimum. So, if the number of uh, free ticket quotas uh, after evenly distribute to all the applicants is this 20 or above then everyone is happy everyone get their quote uh, get their, their, their portion but if it is not uh, sufficient to giving out uh, 20 or plus or more tickets to everyone then we would draw locks based on the applicant pool and then we will draw the number of applicants which ultimately they were able to obtain 20 tickets yeah and I mean I, I, the the tough part of this I guess is I don't know if you have full time economists on staff, but how do you measure the multiplier effect I mean if I was going to buy if my wife and I were going to come from Bangkok to Hong Kong or from Singapore to Hong Kong, I was going to buy two tickets in a hotel anyways, and then all of a sudden the travel agent pops up and says, "Hey, guess what? I can get you one of the tickets for free they're like, "Great, ticket for free I mean when they would have spent the money anyways, but obviously some people were in a position where they're like i can't afford." I can't afford two, but I can afford one, and then they would come. So, I mean, is it possible to tease apart those effects to figure out how much impact the program is actually happening? I mean, it's not easy, well, I know. Well, I, I think it's difficult to measure it to really this kind of count, but I think you are very right pointing out that because uh, we, uh, with this campaign, we want to have the ambience, you know, the, the, the kind of ambience in, in that particular city that, well, going to Hong Kong, you have a very good deal. So even though, uh, well, of course, first of all, the airline giving out free, all right, and then after that, we have this buy one, get one. But even though buy one, get one, if you cannot achieve, uh, I mean, come, come to get this good deal, well, because there's also limited quota, then maybe they look for some kind of special deals as well. So, 
So I think the kind of multiply effect is not not only based on the number of free tickets that we are giving out, but it is because of the ambience and all all the things which we stimulate the kind of travel intention. That is what we are aiming for. Right, and you're you're not the only ones uh, giving stuff away, right? I'm I'm looking at these what are they calling them? Hong Kong goodies. I'm not a fan of that word, but that's neither here nor there. Hong Kong goodies visitor consumption vouchers for the MTR airport express tickets. Tourist yeah, that passes. is from the tourism board, right? Yeah, uh, coupons for high speed rail discounts. The Jockey Club is giving away tourist packs. I don't know exactly what that is, but I mean, what's your sense of how these these various giveaways related to transportation and and other things? How are they going to have an impact? Again, I think that is a kind of a gesture that we we show it to our visitors. Uh, I mean, show it to the visitors in into Hong Kong to show that with the, the I mean, the city is just welcoming them, and then we have a lot of good stuff that we are especially for them. So again, I think after all, when we talk, look at to look into that, uh, I mean, all these kind of goodies, it is not very big big ticket item. But again, I mean, this is the kind of feeling, you know, the, the just the feel good factor that the the whole city. Uh, I mean, the people here in Hong Kong, uh, all our merchants here in Hong Kong, we are welcoming them. So I think that is also an important signal that we want to give it to the overseas market. And is your body helping to push the message about those giveaways through the travel agents to their partners in travel agencies around the world? Uh, well, that that one is... is uh, that one will not be from our channel here to Hong Kong agency and then to overseas agents. But what we understand is the tourism board uh, already engaged different uh, overseas cities, over, uh, outboard cities, and then they are doing a lot of publicity over there. Okay. So it, we, we want the publicity to go to the consumer right away. I mean, to go to the visitors right away. So the publicity, publicity is getting out there. It's just in this, in that, in that case, it's not through your channels. You, you guys no, are handling no, no. the plane tickets. Gotcha. And yeah. is this a little bit of a follow on? All these, these, uh, not the plane tickets, but these other things I've been talking about. Is this a bit of a follow on from Taiwan's effort to give cash away to visitors? I mean, did you guys see that and think, oh, we better up our game? Oh. <laughs> Well, I think when we talk about this Hong Kong International Airport campaign, what uh, world, uh, world of winners, right? So I think this is really some. Uh, well, from from my life in this tourism industry, I didn't see any kind of campaign that is bigger than this one. So, so the effectiveness and also the kind of eyeball catching, I think, I think we are standing out. Gotcha. And so we're expecting this to have a big impact on Hong Kong. Um, more for mainlanders or, I mean, obviously they're a natural market for Hong Kong, but how about the rest of the world? Well, uh, we start from uh, Southeast Asia, but uh, that is, uh, I think it comes into six phases. So uh, gradually it will be, uh, the next phases should be mainland uh, mainland China, and then it comes to uh, Korea, long-haul market, Japan, Taiwan. And, uh, well, actually the last part will be the Hong Kong, for Hong Kong people. So for us to fly out, that will be towards the, towards the July. End, uh, okay. on the, yes, based on the current schedule. Very good. Well, thank you very much for a very informative chat with us this morning. Fanny Young, Executive Director at the Travel Industry Council of Hong Kong, as we set to wrap up back chat on our Friday morning. Uh, just having a quick look around. We'd just like to thank everybody for tuning in for St. Patrick's Day. Great show today. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, we had emails today. We had people piling in on Facebook and I expect the debate will continue there over the weekend. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, on back chat. I think we usually have Mike Rouse and Jim Gould on a Friday morning and I will be doing money talk. Uh, so we can definitely look forward to that one. Uh, we'd also like to thank our producer today, Karha, and our in engineer in the studio, Tsang Wing Ming. And this has been Back Chat. Uh